there's good restaurants and bars in LA and there's good restaurants and bars in London, of course, but I really do think that Australia has the best food and wine scene of anywhere I've lived. It's, you know, we're very, very lucky. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. It's hard to imagine, but 18 months on and there are still Australians stranded overseas trying to find a way home. With limited flights, vaccine requirements, waiting lists and cancel flights, it's proved to be a huge headache as governments try to get things back on track while so many are left wondering when they can get on a plane again. Some have been stranded abroad while their restaurants keep running in Australia. Bonnie Shearson is the co-owner of Happy Fat Group with restaurants such as Red Hook and Copper Spuntino. Bonnie, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm good. You've got a couple of restaurants in Brisbane and you haven't been in Brisbane for quite a while because of COVID. Um, Where are you at the moment? I'm currently in the UK. Um, Never thought I'd live here again, to be honest with you. Uh, But circumstances of family in the soggy pocket of England in Kent. Um, Yeah, been trying to get home for nearly 18 months now. Take us back to that time uh, when the pandemic landed. You were in Los Angeles. You had a restaurant there at the time. What sort of impact did it it have? So Tom and I had, um, Tom is my business partner at Happy Fat Group, and we had a restaurant in Los Angeles for three years called Pollen. Um, Now, we closed the doors on that actually just before COVID hit. Um, And I was just tying up things, wrapping things up, getting ready to make the move back to Australia. I actually had flights booked. Uh, And then COVID hit and that all got cancelled and I found myself stuck in Los Angeles. Um, Now, LA is a a beautiful city full of vibrant, fun eateries, bars. The music scene's amazing, but you take that all away and it's... (laughs) It's a bit of a hole, to be honest with you. I saw, I saw a very different side to Los Angeles once all this COVID nonsense started. Um, but yeah, I found myself stuck there for 10 months, kept trying to apply to get back to Australia over and over again. Eventually kind of just ran out of money and sort of positive thought that it would actually happen. Um, and we were legally advised to stop trying for a while just because it was becoming impossible for anyone to get home. So so, yeah, I was stuck in L.A. for a very long time. And so you moved back to the U.K. Um, have you been trying to get back to Australia since getting back to the U.K.? I have. Um, I've also, you know, moving back to the U.K. was uh, it was kind of forced. My visa ran out in America and coming back here, I've actually ended up working um, for an old friend that I used to work for about 15 years ago. And I've kind of committed to a project for them, um, you know, and I want to see it through. So I've. I've you know, I've said I'll be here for at least a year, but at the same time, I am looking at ways to get back to Australia because, you know, that's where my businesses are and that's where my life is. Um, so, yeah, so still very much looking at ways to get back eventually. But, you know, even today, looking at it, you know, the borders are all still shut. Flights back are, you know, extortionate. Ten grand you're looking at to get home at the moment. Um then with all the quarantines and the logistics of it all, it's just not worth it, you know. I'd rather just sort of ride this out um, and then, yeah, look at maybe next year or the year after if, if there's no more hiccups with this damn virus. Uh, currently in Australia, Sydney and Canberra and Melbourne are all in lockdowns. What, what's the current situation in the UK at the moment? Oh, it's the complete opposite here. We have, 
I think it's something crazy like 30,000 cases a day. Everyone's getting the Delta virus, but there's no restrictions anymore. Um, they've kind of just taken the approach of letting people just get on with it and get it at the moment. There's still, obviously, there's still contact tracing and, you know, workplaces are making you do um, lateral flow tests. Um, but with so many people being vaccinated and the Delta variant not sort of hospitalizing people and it doesn't seem to be quite as extreme they seem to be just sort of going for that just get on with it and we'll see what happens finally <laughs> it's great how do you feel about that being in an open society like that with so many cases every day um i mean i think obviously it's very easy for me to say that i don't feel that bad about it because i'm of good health and you know i'm young and fit and it's it's not as scary to someone like myself and everyone that i know and care about who is you know sort of of high risk has all been double vaccinated and so for me it was just actually a real relief when it was all these restrictions were lifted we could go back to not wearing masks at work and being hospitable i mean that's what we're in hospitality for isn't it so I, I'm I'm enjoying it. I'm actually going to a concert tonight, which would be great. Take us back to when you were young. What what interested you and lured you to a career in hospitality? I mean, I always remember being very interested in food and things when I was younger. My mum was a really, really good cook. Um, you know, we used to bake bread together on the weekends and put tubs of dough in the airing cupboard to let it rise and then plat out loaves and loaves of bread that no one could ever imagine eating that much bread. Um, and then, you know, family holidays, we had good family friends down in Dorset where we used to spend most of our time and they all had these big farmhouse kitchen tables and, you know, we'd all be around there cooking and prepping and it very much sort of centred around, that was the centre and the heart of the home. And, you know, we'd be down there for weeks on end, just causing trouble, running in and out of the kitchen, grabbing snacks off this beautiful big farmhouse and farmhouse table. And so, yeah, so I've always been sort of around a very um, foodie sort of family. My dad was obsessed with food. He loved it. <laughs> he um, had an appetite of a king. Um, but yeah, I suppose getting in, I never thought I'd be in hospitality until I was a little bit older. I always wanted to be a sports teacher, but, um, <laughs> when I, when I left school, um, you know, as everyone does, you kind of get a, a job to save up for your gap year. The easiest thing to do was to go and work in a pub, um, or a bar. Um, my first job was actually in a backpackers in Cornwall changing bed sheets in a youth hostel. So it wasn't the best introduction to hospitality. <laughs> it's kind of gross. <laughs> Do you have any stories of those days? Oh, they're not appropriate. <laughs> not appropriate for this podcast. <laughs> but um, I suppose while I was working there, the, the, the backpackers had a bar in it. And um, the boys behind the bar, and it was very much the boys behind the bar. There was about six of them. And I used to, when I'd finished my shifts, I used to go down and sit at the bar and have a chat with them about stuff. You know, I was always asking if I could have a shift. And it was very much a boys club. And they were like, oh, no, 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 no girls back here. Um, and then one day there was um, three of them bartending or four of them bartending. And one of them cut their hand really badly on a glass. And a few of them had to rush off the bar um, out back to go and get him seen to and they were getting absolutely slammed and there was this really sweet South African guy called Clint on the bar and he just looked over at me and he was like come on then now's your chance so I jumped up and got behind the bar and started pouring beers probably very badly and trying to do the basics but um yeah they think I guess I kind of earned my stripes that day and they gave me a few a few more shifts over the summer behind the bar and 
And then when I moved back up to London, you know, I had I had the bug for bartending. So went and worked in a few different places in London. And I guess, yeah, I just I fell into hospitality as a, as a lot of people do, but always, always had an interest in food and later on drink. What brought you out to Australia? Uh, my father was Australian. Um, he moved back to Australia when I was two. Um, and so I'd always spent a lot of time out in Australia. Um, he was a folk singer, um, lived in Byron Bay when I was younger. Well, Bangalore. Um, and I used to go out and see him all the time. Um, so I always had that strong affiliation with Australia and I'm an Australian citizen. Um, and then when I was 19, I wanted to go and spend some more time over there and get to know my Australian family a little bit more. So moved out there for a year. And then moved back to England and lived in Ibiza for a year and then France for six months and then back to London and decided, no, I love Australia. That's where I want to be. So moved out there in 2008 with my business partner, Tom. Um, and yeah, we were there until I opened the one in Los Angeles in 2017. Tell us about uh, your hospitality career in, in Australia leading up to uh, creating the hat happy fat group um what were some of the real key moments that um that sort of defined your career prior to that prior to that um i suppose the the group that i have to sort of take my hat off to uh, based out of england of course is the match bar group i worked for them for five years and the amount i learned for them in that short amount of time was incredible they put a lot of faith in me and a gave me a lot of opportunity. Um, you know, I was out in Ibiza running their bar out there and then helping with their um, clubhouse in Chamonix and then working across all the sites in London. And that's where I probably learned most of most of my operational and bartender knowledge. Um, from there, moving out to Australia, I um, when we first got there, my business partner and I, so Tom and I were a couple for a very long time. We were together for eight years and we moved out to Australia as a couple. Um, when we first got there, we knew we wanted to open a bar together. He obviously has an incredible background in hospitality. Um, but we also didn't want to rush into just opening something up in a brand new city. So we worked in Australia, in Brisbane, for about a year and a half, two years before we opened up our first venue. Um Worked for Andrew Paturo, who is a fantastic operator. Um, worked for him in Libertine, actually, opening up that restaurant when it first opened. And then, um, yeah, then from there we went on and opened up Canvas, which was our first cocktail and wine bar with um, a couple of business partners. Take us back to uh, Ibiza. What was it like running running bars there? Do you have any stories that can be shared on this podcast? <laughs> probably again not appropriate for this podcast um look to be honest with you I was I was 19 I was thrown out there it was an incredible opportunity a massive learning curve I was so petrified that I actually didn't even step foot in a club or a bar for the first like four months I was so there was a lot of um a lot of responsibility put on my shoulders and I'd never done anything like that before so uh, but once I settled in, obviously there was there was many fun parties and late nights and weird dress up parties and only the strangest things can possibly happen in Ibiza. <laughs> but, but yeah, it was a, it was a good time. It was a fun time, but a lot of hard work. And tell us about your first venue that you opened in Australia, Canvas. What, what surprised you about um, running an establishment like that for the first time? 
Um, well, we were actually extremely fortunate. We opened it up with, um, so it was myself and Tom and then Marco and Emily Nunez. Um, and the four of us um, opened up this tiny little bar together. And we were one of the first small bar licenses actually granted in Queensland back at back in 2010 um it was a it was a brand new concept because up until then you know they'd all been huge rsls and pubs and you know big sports venues there wasn't that sort of niche small bar license um so we opened it up and i think off the back of that um initial you know new sort of style of bar and um, the new license, it got a huge amount of recognition, um, both within Brisbane and nationally as well. Um, so we were very, very fortunate on our timing on that. But we also had an incredible skill level. Um, you know, Mark is a phenomenal bartender, um, you know, and we all, all four of us had very different assets that we brought to to the team and, you know, really built up this sort of institutional place where all the young gun bartenders from Brisbane wanted to work. Um, so, yeah, that, that's how the first one came about. Well, you create, you've created many venues uh, for, for Brisbane, London Fields, um, Public. Uh, tell, tell us about the creation of these and what sort of impacts they had. Um, so Public was the next one that opened up. Um, that was 18 months after we'd opened Canvas and Tom and I had the opportunity to we, we were very interested in doing um, more food focused as well. Um, you know, we both have a love for restaurants and Canvas had a very small little sort of tapas style kitchen. So this opportunity came up to take on this site that we later learned everyone else didn't want to take on because it was in a weird location. But, you know, we were young and dumb and full of, you know, full of ambition and we didn't see anything wrong with it and thought, absolutely, we can do this. Um, so we brought on a business partner for that one. Um, more of a silent business partner. He'd, you know, he'd come up uh, sort of once a month and, you know, we'd go over financials and things like that. But it was very much Tom and I running it and operating it. Um, and, yeah, it was fantastic. It won Best New uh, best new Restaurant in the Australian Good Food Guides just after it opened. And it was wildly popular and it was very – I loved it. It's still, to this day, probably the one I'm most proud of. Um, we had that for four years um during that time tom and i also opened up red hook which was the burger well it still is it's one that we still got is a burger um and cocktail bar in a laneway again we were very very lucky with the timing it was just as that sort of laneway culture was starting up in brisbane so you know we nabbed nabbed the right venue at the right time and there was a lot of focus around all the laneways in brisbane opening up um that was just Tom and I, and still is just Tom and I. Um, and then off the back of that, the landlord also offered, offered us copper, um, which was adjacent to Red Hook in the same building, and we did our Spuntino and wine bar in there. Um, so we had um, three of them. By this point, we'd sold Canvas, um, and we had three of them in operation. So we had Public, Red Hook, and Copper. Um, and then we had an opportunity to do another one with our business partner at Public over in West End. Um, so we all agreed that we'd look to sell public. We didn't want to be sort of overstretched, you know, too thin and lose focus of anything. So we popped public on the market and started uh, started doing London Fields over in West End. And unfortunately, uh, we discovered something not too pleasant about our business partner. That relationship fell apart very quickly. And, um, you know, we decided to fold in on London Fields quite quickly after it opened. We had it for about a year. 
all up, but we just needed to cut ties with that situation. Um, so then at that point, it was just Tom and I, and we had Red Hook and Copper. And, um, you know, we focused on those and really put some time and energy into both of those. Um, and then once once we were happy with where they were, that's when we expanded and opened our first one over in LA. How did that opportunity come about to, to open the uh, Poland in, in LA? Um, I went out to go and see a friend um, who's got a bar over there um, in 2017, in the, in the first part of 2017. Um, and I was over there for a few weeks. And Tom had been talking about wanting to go back to England to open up something. Um, you know, we, we were kind of at that point where Brisbane felt like it, it, you know how Brisbane goes through its kind of lulls and then it stagnates and then it goes crazy again. And we just felt that we were in a bit of a rut in Brisbane and wanted to look at doing something, you know, further afield. Um, so I was over there, looked around, I said, hey, let's talk about LA because I think it's really great out here. And then it all happened quite quickly. Um, we went back out together, had a look at some venues, found one. It was pretty perfect for what we wanted to do. Um, it was available there and then. We found someone to lend us the money to do it, and it all pretty much happened within sort of two months. Wow. Um, yeah. <laughs> so it was it was a bit mad, a bit mad. But, you know, it was great fun. I loved it over there until all this COVID crap. <laughs> Excuse my French. But, um Yeah. How different was it running a venue in California to Brisbane? Oh, it's incredibly different. And, you know, we made some we made some mistakes. I think, you know, you'll remember me saying that we didn't want to rush into anything when we first moved to Brisbane and wanted to work in the country rather than just sort of opening up something straight off the bat. Well, we clearly didn't do that in, in Los Angeles. Um, you know, there were some things that we weren't aware of and just the way that people operate over there and landlords and taxes, you get taxed on three different levels in California and the payroll is extortionate and staffing labor laws are very, very different. So it was, it was a massive learning curve, but you know, we loved it. We had a great time. Um, You know, the venue won best brunch in Los Angeles, which was, you know, we were pretty happy about that. (laughs) Well, tell us about the venue. What, what were you offering? What sort of food and, and, uh, atmosphere did it offer so one, once again we seem to be very fortunate with our timing and we opened up um, an australian cafe over there and then suddenly australian cafes were opening up on every corner and it was like the new trend for la and it, it was still going very strong just as covid hit so uh, we seem to be quite fortunate with our timing <laughs> tell us a bit about red hook and copper spuntino they're the two establishments you still have in brisbane two very very different offerings italian and a sort of burger a cocktail bar um tell tell us about those venues and and what it's like trying to manage such different offerings well red hook was sort of like just a fun passion project for us you know we both you know tom tom djs we both love sort of hip-hop soul funk neo soul um good burgers beers some fun weird cocktails we just wanted to have a bit of fun after you know having quite a few serious venues and you know, it was just, it was somewhere that we could just go and get a bit weird with our mates. <laughs> and then, you know, Italian food has always been my favourite and Tom's definitely up there for Tom's favourite. Um, you know, big passion for wine um, and just really wanted to create a sort of venue where you could go out a few times a week, you know, create that sort of place where you can go in, sit at the bar on your own, you don't get weird looks, you can have a bowl of pasta and a glass of wine and, you know, just that that sort of neighbourhood vibe. Um 
just both venues that we'd really like to go and hang out in ourselves. Um, and they're, you know, Copper, as much as Publix, the one I'll always be the most proud of, Copper's my favourite. <laughs> it's, it's somewhere that I, I personally could eat, you know, six days a week and not be bored. I just love that style of dining. What's it been like being away for, for so long, away from these restaurants that you still have and um, and Tom is running? Um, what's What sort of impact is that having on you? Um, I mean, it's, it's been incredibly difficult. Um, you know, it's put a strain on mine and Tom's uh, working relationship at times. Um, you know, he's been incredible. We had to relocate Copper. Um, when the first lockdown happened in Brisbane, um, there was little, there was no support from our landlord and Copper in its previous location was one of those venues that, you know, it was never a cash cow, but it broke even week to week. But the second that we were shut down for a month, there was just no chance of it surviving. Um, so Copper actually folded and didn't have a home for about seven months. And, you know, with me being stuck in LA, Tom, you know, oversaw the relocation of that, the relaunch of it, the rebranding of it. He's been absolutely phenomenal. Um, we now have it down on Eagle Street Pier and I've never even set foot in it. <laughs> so, you know, that's that's kind of heartbreaking. It's, you know, as I said, it's my favourite and it's, it's something, you know, that, you know, it's been very, very difficult for me. Red Hook has been great it's you know we have a great team in there bartender and a chef sort of pretty much running it holding it together with their team around them um and it's you know again it's been super hard there's been weeks where we've been in lockdown and it's all looked a bit dire but red hook does tend to bounce back quite well especially with you know how much hard work the team's putting in and i just i'm so grateful to not only tom but everyone that's been working for us all through this just keeping things going and yeah i can't wait to get back there's a bartender thread that's run through your whole career and everything that you do. What What is it about bartending that you love? I just love, I love the creativity. Um, and I love, I actually love working behind a bar. <laughs> it's my favorite thing to do. Just being there, talking to people, you know, not, not being tucked away in a kitchen and prepping food that you don't get to sort of display in front of people and have a chat with them about, you know, it's that creativity side of things, but actually being in front of people, chatting with them, being hospitable, um, just the banter that you get behind a bar. You don't, you, you know, unless it's an open kitchen, and to be honest with you, chefs have so many different things that they're trying to manage all at one time. It still wouldn't be the same sort of banter as it is just, you know, the storytelling and getting to know people and making them drinks and, yeah, getting them a little bit drunk, <laughs> of course, responsibly. <laughs> what does it take to be a great bartender, do you think? I mean, you have to have a good palate. Definitely. But, you know, I think you have to be an excellent host, um, you know, good knowledge, but also not not being an overbearing bartender who thinks that every single customer that sits at your bar wants to know every single detail about every ingredient that's in the cocktail. Some of them just want to have a drink. You know, <laughs> you need to you need to be a good entertainer, a good host, be able to read your room, have good product knowledge, a good palate, and just be able to have a bit of fun and multitask. What has this forced time away made you appreciate about Australia? everything <laughs> honestly the um i the, there's good there's good restaurants and bars in la and there's good restaurants and bars in london of course but i really do think that australia has the best food and wine scene of anywhere i've lived it's you know we're very very lucky um apart from mexican food i do miss the mexican food from la <laughs> 
But, um, you know, I, I miss the beaches. I miss the, the lifestyle. I miss my friends, my family. It, it's just absolutely everything. When you manage to score a flight and get back to Brisbane, how, how are you going to um, celebrate that? Oh, God, I don't know. I think I'll probably just go a bit mad for a week. <laughs> just try and go to every venue in one week. Um, no, honestly, look, I just I just want to see my friends. I've missed them so much. And, you know, I'll probably have a big dinner at Copper, finally get to go into Copper and enjoy it. Um, yeah, I just, I just want to see my people. It's been the hardest part. Well, uh, Bonnie, we've loved catching up, catching up with you on Deep in the Weeds to hear your story. Good luck with the project that you're on over there and hopefully you can get back home real soon. Thank you so much. Um, please keep in touch. I will do. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well. <laughs>